tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. Here we are again. The end of the week. Well, it may be the end for you. It's for the clergy. It's kind of the beginning of the week. But nah. I always I think that of that, Father. Anything. This is but, live when I wish but, priests, when I tell them to have a good weekend. I was like, well, it's kind of just ramping up well, for them. It is really a good weekend. I, I think it's a great, great privilege to be able to offer the sacrifice of the Mass. Um, it's the rest of the stuff, you know, the, the great question asked, um, father, there's no toilet paper in the ladies room. <laughs> How often have I stood in the back of the church? It's, it really is funny. I've stood in the back of the church dressed in ancient Roman formal wear, ready to start mass. And someone comes to me and says, father, there's a, a kneeler broken over in the fifth pew. Why are you telling me this? There's nothing I can do about it, <laughs> especially now. So at any rate, am I bitter? No, I. But no, not at all. You're joyful. Not at all. But the, the questions one gets asked. What's another great question? Oh, one of the one of the most important questions that a priest is asked is, Father, how long is the how long is the aisle? <laughs> so, bride's like a nice long aisle. So. <laughs> Oh, where let's pray. I'm I'm so far off the track. Maybe prayer will help. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, we pray, that saved by that same Spirit, to have right judgment in all things. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, o Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I was just thinking of, oh, this is, I'm still off the track. Uh, but uh, the I remember in one of the parishes I served, there was a, a Nigerian woman who, when we were talking about building a narthex, which would have shortened the, the aisle by about five or ten feet, she came and said, Father, you must not shorten. Now, she was not married, but she was certainly looking. She said, Father, you must not shorten the aisle. Brides like a long aisle. This was a very serious matter for her. That said, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. All right. Well, let's go to the gospel first, because the gospel is, uh, uh, well, it's... It's it's more to me. It's more accessible. This letter to the Hebrews is just a a real brain teaser. I suppose that's the word. Okay. You know, I'm grinding this axe a lot, and it's 
it's a little obsessive, but there's a reason I'm grinding it, which I will reveal today. Mark thirteen, Mark three thirteen. Jesus went up the mount and summoned those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom we also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them forth to preach and have authority to drive out demons. I I said this yesterday, I probably said it the day before, and probably the day before that, because I have known great scholars who defend the traditional uh, picture because of, of Jesus standing on a mountain, speaking to the multitudes, ranged down the mountain. You see that everywhere. I think in The Chosen, that was basically it. Uh, it was spoofed in a Monty Python movie that I cannot recommend. Um, the... It would have been utterly impossible to hear Jesus speaking if he was standing on a windy mountaintop and you were half half the way down the mountain because of the crowd. He didn't do that. It's clear. You read in the Gospel of Matthew, when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain to get away from them. But it's even more clear here in Mark 3.13. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted. He had just been down on the on the beach uh, and had gotten into a boat because, well, they were about to push him in the water because they all wanted to touch him to be healed. So, uh, well, why why does he keep banging away at that drum? Simply because, you know, I, I, I've really heard great scholars defend this idea of Jesus standing on the mountain talking to a multitude. I've actually heard ridiculous ideas such as well you have a certain wind effect coming up from the lake that would have compensated give me a break the scriptures are clear about this jesus went up the mountain when he wanted to be alone with his disciples he came down to the 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 lake shore when he wanted to speak to the multitude it's pretty clear but why do we defend it well because that's the way we've always thought about it and the point I'm, I'm trying to make is do not. Okay, let's talk about this this new series, which I essentially like, The Chosen. Uh, it's it's mostly very good. I was really offended uh, by one episode. I think it was the final episode of season two, where they they're they're making a big stage for the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount again. And Jesus is so nervous about the sermon, and he won't talk, and he's pacing about the sermon. This is ridiculous. First of all, the whole scene is wrong. Jesus went and sat down and spoke to his disciples, the scripture says. He didn't go up the mountain and build a stage. Uh, um, this was a kind of mega church Hollywood, big stage production view of the scriptures. Okay, well, people are going to see that film, which was excellent in most regards. They're going to say, well, when Jesus built the stage at the uh, uh, for the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus didn't build a stage for the Sermon on the Mount. There's nowhere that, that there's no indication that we have such a thing. Um, the ancient world didn't have stages like that. They didn't have the stage with the curtain and all that sort of nonsense. Um, you know, we've all seen artistic representations that we love, but they don't reflect the scripture at all. You know, you read the text and you, you mustn't be upset when... I know a, a woman called in very upset because some some theologian or would-be scripture scholar at a lecture pointed out, or at a Bible study, pointed out that, well, Jesus would have been two years old um, when uh, the Magi came. 
why would Jesus have been two years old? The text doesn't say that. Uh, it, it, well, it would have taken years to walk from per No, it doesn't take years to walk from Persia to, to the Holy Land. Um, this guy had a conception of it, and it argued with this woman's conception of it. She was so worried that she was going to have to take uh, her, her wise men and camels from the nativity scene that she had that she so loved. And because, well, it wasn't biblically accurate. Nonsense. Read the Holy Scriptures the way the Holy Spirit wrote them. And understand that, that much of what we have is an artistic conception because, well, people before the 20th century, before the, 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 the mid-19th century, were largely illiterate. And all they could do was depend on some artist's representation or something they'd heard in a sermon. Um, and, well, I've known some artists. They take liberties with things. But moving along. So uh, you really want to uh, read the scriptures uh, as much as possible with with un, un, unblinded eyes. All right. That, that, I, that's a long discussion. Let us go to the, the letter of the Hebrews again. We have the tail ending of yesterday's reading. Now our high priest has obtained so much more excellent a ministry. And I pointed out yesterday that word is, uh, has obtained so much more excellent a liturgy. That's the word a liturgia. Uh, this was a very important concept in the ancient world of a, a service rendered uh, to the gods, to the state, for the sake of the people, uh, usually by wealthy citizens. So, that was a liturgy in the Greek sense, but the, the Jews took it and applied it to temp, the temple worship, the temple liturgy. And that's how it comes to us. But it's not a ministry. It's a liturgy. And that's, that's very different. Our high priest has obtained a much more excellent ministry. The high priest wouldn't have been involved in ministry. He was involved in liturgy. And I think that's significant for us, that the, the great duty of the church is the liturgy. Um, was it John Sr. Uh, uh, who wrote, uh, oh, he wrote a series of books on, on, on sort of the rise and fall and the return of Christianity. Uh, great, great author. But he was of the theory that the purpose for everyone's life in the church is the offering of, of the Mass. And people work at jobs so that they can sustain the church that the liturgy be offered. It's an interesting idea, and it really is kind of a, 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 a an Israelite idea. I say that because uh, um, the we'll, we'll get a little later in this reading. We'll we'll discuss this, but this idea of of the liturgy being the purpose for life, it's an interesting concept. Uh, and you know that doesn't mean you just spend your life going to going to, to masses. No, the mass is offered for the glory of God. It's a sacrifice offered to the glory of God for the salvation of the world. And our job is to, to sustain that liturgy. That's an interesting theory on it by uh, the great John Senior. So he is the mediator of a better covenant and i said that word is mesitis and that means uh, a mesitis is a what you would call a middleman he is what we would call a um, um, 
uh, arbitrator for binding arbitration. That, that's kind of what we would call it. And these people say, well, you shouldn't pray to saints because there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Well, I, if you have that, that view, you really shouldn't be asking your pastor to pray for you because he's not, he's not a mediator. Jesus is the only mediator. Well, a mediator, an intercessor is one thing, but this, this mesitis, M-E-S-I-T-E-S, this mesitis is, is, um, uh, um, literally means someone in the middle. And he, he is an arbitrator who guarantees the performance of all the terms stipulated in a covenant. And his job is to restore peace between two parties. It isn't the the word angel means messenger. The idea that, that our prayers are carried to heaven by some saint or some angel, that's that's a messenger. A mesitis is someone who stands authoritatively between two parties. And the party in this is God and and humanity. So I, I think that 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 word is much much abused uh, when we talk about a mediator so he's a mediator of a better covenant okay covenant again covenant is is an agreement that ends only w- with the death of one of the covenanters a contract ends when the business is done a covenant does not end until one of the covenanters dies. That's that's the big difference. So this this covenant is is binding on God for as long as God lives. Ooh, that's a lot. I mean, there is a great monotheistic religion, not ours, that uh, um, uh, um, that believes God does not make covenants. That would be a lowering of his dignity. And it's blasphemy to say that God would make a covenant with humanity. And we believe that God stoops to make covenant with humanity. He has made six covenants with humanity. And at the end of time, there will be the seventh covenant. This is, it is breathtaking. I think that particular monotheistic religion um, has a point that this is, this is, this is God stooping. And it really is. So the word in Greek is diatheke. It means it means a well it means a covenant. Uh, the 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 it's the word used at the Last Supper. This is the blood of the new covenant, the new uh, uh, the new establishment. This is the word diatheke means a thorough uh, new uh, place, a thorough new setting. So this new covenant. Is the covenant, again, I think I mentioned this yesterday, is the covenant with the Jews abrogated? No. Insofar as it goes, it's still there. I will be your God and you will be my people. What the the author is saying here is that ours is a better covenant and acted on better promises. That that um, God promises forgiveness of sins, eternal life, resurrection. The covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai, it simply is, I will be your God and you will be my people, if you had to sum it up. Now, there's a long quoting here of, of scripture that is interestingly uh, uh, not Torah. Um, it is, it is uh, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Uh, but it, it, it talks about a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming when I will conclude a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers. Uh, They didn't stand by that covenant, so I ignored them. This is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel. I I will put my law in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Um, They shall not teach each one his own fellow and kinsman, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. This idea of to know the Lord, that, that the prophets heard from God, but the individual person didn't have that access to God, who was hidden in the Holy of Holies. The complete accessibility of God to humanity is part of this new covenant. And then I will forgive their evil doing. So uh, when he speaks of a new covenant, declares the first one obsolete, what has become obsolete has grown old and is close to disappearing. Now, this is kind of important. Close to disappearing. Well, the uh, uh, Judaism has not disappeared. And Judaism is one of the great founding uh, foundations of our culture, Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian culture. So what's this about the the old covenant disappearing? The temple did disappear. There is not a stone left of the temple. Uh, they thought they had found a, uh, something from the, the, the Temple of Solomon, a pomegranate that may have been, a marble pomegranate that may have been the, um, uh, the headpiece of a um, high priest's staff. But I think that has vanished or been proven uh, false. It, it just isn't around anymore. But as far as I know, last I looked. The temples disappeared, and the temple was the touchstone, the sacrificial order of the temple was the touchstone of the old covenant, and it's gone. That is gone. However, the Lord did say he would be faithful to the whole house of Israel. So God has preserved the house of Israel while at the same time demonstrating that that the old covenant has in fact disappeared in large measure. Uh, this is this... Um, you know, I, I I I say that very carefully, because uh, this this disappearing of of the temple. People are always talking about rebuilding the temple, but it hadn't happened. Uh, Justinian, the the uh, uh, apostate, the emperor who tried to bring the Roman Empire back to paganism, tried to rebuild the temple, and he couldn't do it. There were just too many things, like explosions and and. Uh, terrors and signs he he couldn't he couldn't do it the temple is gone the new temple not made with hands which is the body of christ the church is alive and well and flourishing so i don't know i i find all this stuff kind of interesting but um the this idea of a better covenant is is I think very important for us to understand this new covenant and the Jesus calls it the new covenant, the, the, in his blood, uh, which we celebrate at mass. So, all right, well, enough musing on these things. Um, but understand that we have a better covenant enacted on better promises. We have, and we know the Lord, he lives among us. 888-914-9149 We'll be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about the Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. 
This is a whiny adolescent song by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> so there you go. Um, the the uh, oh, by the way, I should mention fast for life. It is it is uh, we're we're praying and fasting in solidarity with the young people and some not so young people who are gathered in Washington to continue the struggle against uh, the killing of children in this country, uh, or abortion, as most people call it. Um, I, I don't think there's anything so savage as, as abortion, um, and it's so sanitized, and, and it really is a savage thing. Um, you know, it's fascinating to me when you watch clips of, of pro-abortion uh, demonstrators, the venom that they seem to spew, they're just so angry. Even when they're celebrating, it's an angry celebration. And you meet the crowds of young people who go to these these marches for life. And it, they're jubilant. They're happy. They're joyful. It, I, I really, um, you know, note that contrast. Um, I, I've been in a number of marches for life. And you see four or five angry demonstrators uh, trying to defend abortion. And you see all these young people waving at them and saying God bless you and we love you. It's, it's, um, the contrast is striking. So at any rate, keep them in your prayers and, uh, uh, um, it's not too late to, to offer prayer, um, and, and fasting for that, the success of their work. All right. Where was I? Oh, letters. Yes. Did we do the letter thing? Oh, there, I got another person asking about, are lay Eucharistic ministers allowed to give blessings? No, they're not. They can say, may the Lord be with you, or they can say, may God, may God uh, live in your heart. They're not allowed to give a blessing at Mass. That's just, there's an article, uh, which I, I don't know if it was written by Archbishop Chaput or simply quoted him, but he points out that the only people allowed to give liturgical blessings are priests and bishops. Um, and, and you don't do it. You can say... You can smile at them and uh, uh, and say, "May the Lord live in your heart," or, or may, "May May God be with you," or something. But no, you're not. Um, so I just think the whole thing is kind of nuts because it's kind of that affirmative, everybody wins a trophy kind of thing. Well, the Eucharist isn't a trophy. Uh, I remember the story of what. Uh, St. Louis, the king of France's mother, said to him on the day of his first communion, he said, Son, I would rather see you dead than see you commit a mortal sin. Is that what you're doing when you bring your kid up for a blessing to communion? Because, of course, when you take the Holy Eucharist, you're saying, I will give my life for Christ if necessary, as he gave his life for me. It's the sacrifice of your life in union with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Um, are you saying, kid, I hope you die rather than commit a mortal sin? I doubt that most people say that when they bring up their children for blessing. They just want them to feel good about things. And that's a lovely thing to do. All right, let's see here. Uh, let me, let me, let me see here. Um, oh, good grief. Oh, I got a letter from, from Claudine. Uh, 
Father, Son, and we have Christ in us, then we have the hope of glory, according to Colossians 1.27. So if Christ lives within us once, we have accepted him as Savior. Why do we need to receive him in the Eucharist? Because he said to do that. Do this in memory of me. That's one small reason Jesus asked us to do what he did. And he didn't say this represents my body, but he said this is my body and blood. Do this in remembrance, in remembrance of me. Also, if you are a person, I remember the story about the old German farmer who um, uh, on his 50th wedding anniversary, his wife tells him, you never tell me you love me, Hans. So, I told you on our wedding day, when I change my mind, I'll let you know. No, this this idea of saying, I love you and I give my life to you again and again and again. This is not a bad thing. Uh, think about it. He lives within us 24-7, not just a few minutes after you receive the Eucharist. We Catholics believe that, Claudine, if we are in a state of grace. Now, we believe that you can throw your salvation away. Well, no one can snatch you out of the hands of the Lord. Yeah, but you can jump out of it. Uh, you, you, I think Scripture is very clear in a number of places uh, that you can throw away your salvation. But uh, assuming that you remain in what we call a state of grace, of course he lives within us, but... <sighs> I'm a, I'm a physical being. I'm a spiritual being. I have a body and a soul. And the Eucharist even touches my body. It touches the whole me. Body, soul, spirit, the whole me. So, you know, this is a beautiful thing. And I feel bad, Claudine, that you, you don't understand it and you don't have it. But maybe you will someday. All right, let's see here. Moving along again. Oi, oi. Uh, let's see. I went to a daily mass at my school's parish today. I go to mass, but don't take me alone until I receive confirmation and first Holy Eucharist. That's good. You know, you, you don't have to be confirmed to, to receive the Holy Eucharist. You do have to have made your first Holy Communion. I saw something that I didn't think was right. For some reason, neither priest or deacon was able to say mass. The liturgical director said that they would hold a prayer meeting in its place. I thought that was fine. Then he proceeded to offer the Eucharist to the congregation from the ciborium. You mentioned the chalice. A ciborium is that it looks like a chalice, but it's usually flatter and, and a little bit wider than a chalice. It's a ciborium, which is a, a Latin word meaning food container. Uh, I hate to take the romance out of it. But... Uh, um, everyone received. I thought this might be a sacrilege. I don't think it was a sacrilege. If this guy was a designated communion minister and had the the permission of the person who had pastoral oversight of the school, then it was okay. But he should have, you know, it should at least have been cleared uh, in some way with the person who had pastoral oversight. And that person should have been delegated uh, as a as an uh, a, uh, an extraordinary minister of communion. Um, personally, I, I kind of, I have a hesitation about that. It is a rule of the church that you may not have a communion service when there has been a daily mass offered in the parish. If there's a daily mass and then they have an evening communion service, I believe that that is strictly forbidden. If I'm wrong again, I would like to be corrected. However, if this was the only opportunity that day to receive the Eucharist, and it was approved by the, the pastor of that place, um, then it was kosher. All right, let's see here. Let me look at the time. Oh, we got more time. Okay, let's see. Oh, we do have, well, then why don't we, why don't we go to our word of the day, and, and uh, then we will, uh, 
We'll take a break because if we got a lot of calls, we'll go to calls. Okay, uh, you can call in 888-914-9149. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. Well, you rock my soul. Elvis. Elvis. Oh. I don't know. I enjoy Elvis more now that I'm old. And speaking of old, let's go to the word of the day. Give me a word, any word, and I show you how the root of that word is Greek. Well, of course, I'm going to do that. What else do I do? The 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 word for the, the day is well old. I looked at that. And I said obsolete. What does obsolete mean actually? Well, the Greek word is. Palayumenon. Palayumenon. It means getting old. Um, the 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 uh, uh, the word palaios means old in Greek. We get the word paleontology from it, and then we have another word which also means getting old, gerascon, which means uh, it, it means well. We get geriatrics from it, the the Greek word for old, um, and that that's interesting to me because well, something just because something's old doesn't mean it's not a great thing, but what's going on here is this this and the word about the 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 new covenant uh, um it, well it, it's kaine kaine diatheki it which means fresh it means renewed it it, it hasn't grown obsolete it hasn't grown obsolete it's 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 kind of impossible for it to be uh, superseded. So that word kind of the fresh it's not it neos means new in in point of of time. This has never been before. Kind of is new in terms of quality. It's like new and improved. And that's what the covenant is. It isn't an abrupt departure from from um, <clears throat> the covenant of of Israel. It is the improvement of it and the fulfillment of it. And uh, this this idea of the covenant grown old, um, the the author of the letter of the Hebrews is is saying exactly that because it didn't work, you know the the priests constantly offering sacrifice didn't work. Well, you say Catholic Church offers sacrifice to the mass again and again and again, yeah, but we don't believe it's a new sacrifice. It's the same unbloody. It's an unbloody representation of the sacrifice of Calvary, that that. Um, St. Paul says in, uh, well, I'm trying to think exactly where he says it. I, is it in Romans? I, I don't remember. I make up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Simply my participation. That when we go to Mass, 
We are saying, I want to be, I want to stand at the foot of Christ's cross. I want to be crucified with him for the love of the world that, for which he gave his life. Um, God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only begotten son. So this new covenant, this, this, this fresh covenant is, is, uh, makes up for the, the failures of the old covenant. That's what he's saying, that the old covenant just didn't make it. It was a foreshadowing. It was, uh, 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 a hint of what was to come. So, um, as I said earlier, uh, John Sr. talking about the purpose of life is the liturgy. The, the liturgy is the new covenant. The liturgy, think about it, is the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant. That's what we say uh, in, in the consecration. And we constantly renew ourselves as we participate in the covenant of Mass. Um, Mass is not a departure from what went before. It is, it is the fulfillment of it. So uh, I, I've said this a number of times, that, that Mass is not simply 2,000 years old. It goes back to the sacrifice of Abraham, the binding of Isaac. We stand on Mount Moriah with Abraham. We stand on Mount Calvary with the Blessed Mother. We stand at every Mass offered by every priest throughout history until the Lord returns. So Mass... It's much more than you think. All right. Well, moving along here, let us go now to phone calls. Hello! Let's go to Father Joe from, from Bayhead. Father Joe, uh, good to hear from you again. What can I do for you? Uh, just, um, I guess I have a little challenge for you because sure. I think that blessing children at the communion line is a good and beautiful thing. Like if you look at Mark ten fourteen or Luke eighteen yeah. sixteen, you see that Jesus says, "Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them." And to me, it's a joy when people bring their children up, and I give them a blessing. And like at at um, funerals, um, I invite people that are non-Catholic if they want to come up and receive a blessing by just folding, uh, crossing their arms across their chest, and people receive a blessing. And I think it's a way that they feel they're uh, participating more actively in the Mass, even though they're not Catholic, say. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm I definitely a hypocrite about this, because when kids are brought up, I do bless them, and I cannot help but smile from ear to ear. Some, some, right. some little, yeah, that's, little that's you know, it, it is a lovely thing. However, there is a fascinating thing that the Eastern Church does that's a both and. After Mass, they have, oh, I can't think what it's called, the Apple something or other. I'm sure one of our Eastern Church listeners would know. But they, the priest distributes unconsecrated bread, and you take it home and eat it or eat it on the way home. And it, it's a blessing. They get a blessing after Mass, uh, after the liturgy. So it's kind of a both and. The reason that I have a hard time with the idea of blessing people who are not receiving communion is simply because, you know, I think that, you know, I, I, I you're probably younger than I am, but... Um, I remember once upon a time when people went to communion very infrequently because they really felt they had to prepare. This was really uh, uh, an encounter with the Lord for which you prepared. There was nothing casual or informal about it. 
And my point is, I think we need to come back to an understanding of of the liturgy as 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 a sacrifice, not simply the sacrifice of the mass, but my entering into that sacrifice. So that idea that kids, uh, kids, oh, they want to feel, you know, it makes them part of it. Well, that's a lovely thing. But mass is Calvary. I, I think if you and I had stood at the foot of the cross, we would have been there weeping. Um, it, it wasn't a lovely thing. It was a profound thing and a, a, a desperately beautiful thing. But there was nothing nice about it. And, and uh, maybe I'm just an old man wishing to renew the solemnity, the sacrifice of the mass. But I think something could be devised that was both and. Uh, um, you know, the, the, that... Uh, uh, away at the end of mass uh, as the greeks do to have that that because greeks they they really fast their little hearts out before they go to communion um they're still doing it that way uh and this is kind of a a consolation prize because the act of receiving the holy eucharist in the eastern church is an act of great solemnity and sacrifice and I, I, I think it would be wonderful if we could do a both and. But I think I know that in my life I've had the tendency to reduce the mass to something cute, a public ceremony that was something nice. And in my old age, I've kind of reacted to it. So I may be wrong. And, uh, you know, I have to admit that it's very hard for me not to bless some kid, especially when he comes there so funny sometimes. So I don't know. That's just where I'm at with it, Father Joe. And again, I admit I may be wrong. So. That's why I am grinding that axe. So it explains my position, but your position is is the one that I actually practically usually take. So there you go. Uh, these are strange well, times, aren't they? They are. But the, the thing that I, you know, I think I am as old as you are. I'm 69. Uh, no, so I'm, I'm older than you are. I'm about four old. years older. Yeah, I'm. I'm I yeah. can really remember. Well, one of my earliest so memories I, yeah. was I, I I can still remember when Holy Saturday was on uh, the, the the vigil was in the morning on Holy Saturday. I'm that old. I can remember before oh, those yeah, changes. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah. But the yeah. thing that um, I think is really good is the idea of the Eucharist is both a sacrifice and a meal. It's a banquet of celebration too. So yeah, I don't. I think it's a good thing. And I'll just leave it. And I do think your idea well, of bringing a communion fast back would be great because it would hopefully eliminate a lot of people who are there just to receive a wafer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I, I maybe you know I think things are developing, and I bet a happy a happy medium will some will probably reveal itself. But who knows? These are these are interesting times we live in. Well, thanks for listening. I'm honored that you listen. And uh, and uh, remember, if you disagree with me, it's because you're probably right. So no, no, remember, take I don't what think I said. So. Not you. Well, take there. You heard the salt shaker. So well, okay. it's so good to hear you, Father Joe. God bless. All right, let us God go now you. to Mary. God bless. Yep. Thanks so much for listening, Mary from Raleigh, North Carolina. Are you with us? I am, Father. Thank you for taking my call. My uh, question what can I do is, for um, you? On. I, I, I try to attend daily mass as much as I can, and it struck mm-hmm. me recently. I don't know how. I, I'm sixty, almost sixty-five. I don't know why it just struck me recently that we don't say the <laughs> creed at daily mass. No, we don't. And I, I don't. 
I, I, I don't know what the liturgical reason for that is, because I honestly, every time when we do pray it on Sunday, I find it so invigorating. So it's so foundational in the tenet of our faith, and it, it just confirms me so much. And I, well, I, I'm just, I mean, obviously, it would add another two or three minutes onto the daily mass, and I get that. But I, I just wondered: is there some liturgical reason that daily mass does not have the creed in it? Well, actually, there there may be. Um, the The creed is, is I, I you know, I don't remember exactly when it was put into the mass, but the creed uh, was probably put in. I. Uh, I suspect it was pretty early on in the period of the of the, of the post-Constantinian councils, um, you know, in the in the four and five hundreds. Um, of course, it wasn't written until three. Well, the Nicene Creed, yeah. AD, yeah, yeah, and the Apostles' yeah. Creed was yeah. essentially yeah. written at the same time. Yeah, so the there Apostles, wasn't a creed yeah. in the early Mass, and uh, you got to understand the the development of Mass in the Eastern Church. They don't have daily. Daily Mass. Have you ever noticed this? Daily Mass no. is something that is unique to the uh, the Roman rite of, of the Roman Catholic Church. And that's because in the Middle Ages, we got our clergy from, uh, uh, this is going to be an interesting disquisition here, but we got our, our clergy from monasteries. Uh, in the East, they didn't. And in the East priests were married and one had to fast appropriately before receiving communion and so before a liturgy uh, a eucharistic liturgy eastern priests fast from intimacy with their spouse so they really couldn't have daily mass in the west there was a permanent fasting from into the intimacy of marriage and so we could have daily mass. We got used to daily mass because of the monastic custom. And my suspicion is this. This is just a harebrained theory that I'm coming up with as we speak. But my suspicion is that the creed was unnecessary for uh, the monastic liturgy. The monastic liturgy went to the period before the the Romanization of the church, before the, the Roman government uh, involved itself in the governance of the church. So in a sense, the daily mass, the monastic mass is an older tradition than the tradition of, 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 of the, the, the Constantinian government. You see, the Constantinian government was most interested in ensuring religious uniformity for the unity of the empire. It was, it was unnecessary at daily mass. When you had the big crowd for the Sunday obligation, there you had to make sure everybody was on the same page, and and you know the the, the involvement of the church with the, the 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 governments of history. I think it's, there are a lot of doctorates in there which I will never get, but that's my suspicion: is that that uh, it was sort of something to in, uh, ensure the uniformity of the citizens of the Christian state, whereas. It was unnecessary daily mass. Does that make any sense to you? Yes, thank you. That's helpful. Thank you. Well, again, it's just my harebrained theory. Don't don't quote yeah. his history, <laughs> but I I bet there's something to it. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling in, Mary. God bless you. Let's go to Maria from Chandler, Arizona. Maria, what can I do for Hi, you? Hi, Father Simon. Hi. Um, 
my niece is getting married next week mm-hmm. only by yeah. law. Yeah. Uh, they intend to get married by church, but later, later on, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe mm-hmm. years. She's very young. She's 17. Yeah. And she wants to get married like right now. <laughs> I don't know why. But mm-hmm. um, should because I Because she's 17. That's why. No, yeah, I would not go. Yeah. I would not go. I say, I no. wish you luck, and I will certainly be at your church wedding. Uh, uh, chances are this one is not going to work out. I mean, she's 17. She has, she wants to get married now. And, uh, you know, I, I would be, frankly, I would be kind of amazed if, in, if, if it, I wish them luck. And I, I would hope they would get married in church. But if you don't go and you say, I will, I will certainly be at your church wedding and I have nothing but hope for your happiness. Uh, I think she'll understand. And, uh, um, uh, she doesn't understand now. She'll probably understand pretty soon. So, yeah, because, you know, what she's doing is she's getting into a contract. This was has to do with today's reading. And why celebrate a contract? A covenant? A covenant you celebrate. Civil marriages are not, are not covenantal. They admit the possibility of divorce. And you don't want to celebrate anything that admits the possibility of divorce. Because we don't believe in it. Does that help a little? Yeah, should I give her any like explanation why I don't I won't go? Well, uh, I think just a should simple just... explanation. Say, you know, I I I am praying for you, and I, I I wish you all the happiness in the world. And treat her and the man she's marrying with respect and courtesy. You know, you don't you don't cut them off or kick them to the curb. You know, you're good to them, but just say to her, I'm I'm really looking forward to your church wedding, and I will certainly be there. You know, more explanation than that, I don't think is necessary because I don't think she would understand it. She wants what she wants. (laughs) All right. God bless Maria. It's tough, (laughs) but I've I've had to walk that road myself. Ellen from Concord. What can I do for you, Ellen? Hi, Father Simon. Is this working? Your producer asked me to turn off my speakerphone, but I'm even older than you. I can't figure out how to do it. Oh, dear. Ah, no, it's it's fine so far. <laughs> what okay. can I do for you, okay. Ellen? At Mass a couple of weeks ago, some people came and asked John the Baptist who he was. They said, are you the Messiah? Mm-hmm. Yes. He said, no. Are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you the prophet? He said, no. I'm wondering what prophet they were talking about. Elijah. No, talking about the prophet he said, of- no, I'm not Elijah. Oh, not a, are you the, pro- the oh the the prophet the prophet uh, that was Moses? Moses was always called the prophet. Are you Moses? That's all I or, need. Are, to know. Nobody yeah, know yeah. Uh, are you what 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 did the text say again? Are you Elijah? Are you the up. Messiah? Are you yeah. Elijah? Are you the prophet? And they said the and prophet then, would have been Moses. You? Yeah, yeah, that would have been Moses yeah. because Moses okay. said there will be one like me. To come after me, hear him. So, so Moses predicted so the Messiah. Um, so, so, were they talking saying, about Moses, Moses himself, or the one that Moses said would come after me? Well, it's all kind of yes. <laughs> you know that that uh, <laughs> uh, that 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 the one who was the one to come after Moses. Well, he would have been Moses. Moses revived. Well, he wouldn't have been Moses, but maybe he would have been Moses. It's it's fascinating. In this my study of, of Melchizedek that I've been doing for the letter of the Hebrews, there were large groups who thought Melchizedek 
was Shem, the son of Moses, who had just lived until that time, the time of Abraham. Others, but the more prevailing attitude was, no, no, he was a heavenly being who had no ancestors. So which one was true? Well, both were interesting. That's a funny thing about the Jews. They they never threw anything out, neither do we Catholics. We sort of keep it around because okay. it's interesting. So, yeah, it, it was a kind of a both and. All right. I hope okay. that helps. Okay. The one after. There you go. Father. All right. God bless. Cynthia God bless from Bye-bye. La Habra. God bless. Thanks, Ellen. Cynthia from La Habra, California. Are you with us? Yes. Good. What can I do for you? Okay. I wanted to know if you could go a little bit over what's the difference of having mass said for someone who's deceased or having mass said for someone that's alive. Well, what we believe about the deceased is that they're not really deceased, deceased. They're they're simply transported to a different realm, and so uh, uh, and we live. We I love what C.S. Lewis says about about humanity uh, in the Screw Tape Letters. He puts into the mouth of the devil the idea that we are amphibians living in a spiritual world and a physical world, and we live on the edge like frogs on the edge of a pond. And so we live in both worlds. So in a way, there's really no difference, uh, except that those who are standing before the throne of God probably value the mass a great deal more than we who are living in this world do. You know, there's no greater benefit uh, or lesser benefit. It's just that I have a feeling that people who stand before God um, um, really understand what they're, they're, they're doing. There's a wonderful movie that I can never remember. I think it's it's called... The veil removed. Let me pull it up. The veil removed, and you got to do it right. Uh, video, because you never know what you're going to get with the veil removed. So the veil removed video. Uh, it is. It is um, uh, very, very moving. Um, uh, it, it's about what really goes on at mass. It's about seven minute video. Okay. So. It's a really beautiful thing to watch. All right. Very good. I hope that helps Thank a little. You. All right. Yes. Thank you. Let us now. You're welcome. Let's go to John. Are you with us, John? I got just a minute. What can I do for you, John? Yes, Father. Um, I go to church a lot, and uh, especially on Sunday. And uh, when the priest says, uh, my peace be with you, and mm-hmm. then he also says, give each other the sign of peace. For a long time, I've been saying Christ peace with the, you know, making the, the blessing with mm-hmm. your hand. And I would say mm-hmm. it three times, Christ peace, Christ peace, you know, looking three directions on, in the church. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the, after Mass, the priest came over to me and says, uh, he says, don't do that, you know. He says, just Oh, well, he's hand, probably, he's, he, he's probably like me. You shouldn't bless people if you're not a priest. But on the other hand... If you were in my church and you did that, I would say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, just, just you can say Christ's peace and nod your head and say, he's probably objecting to the idea that you're making the sign of the cross uh, during the liturgy. You know, people get upset about the darndest things. <laughs>